lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, and this week's episode is yet again exciting. <laughs> I know I say that every week, but honestly, every week is exciting on this show. I love having these conversations with all these awesome people within pro wrestling, within queer pro wrestling talking about experiences within queer pro wrestling and every every week just seems to um deliver at least for me hopefully for y'all as well but definitely for me um last week's episode with Mark Ag- Adam Haggerty was uh, a blast and this week should live up to to that level as well uh, we have on the show this week the American attraction the leader of the polycult, uh, one MV Young. Uh, MV has been tearing it up uh, all over the Northeast, the in Pennsylvania, you know, all up and down the East Coast as well. Like he's been delivering his own unique v- version of chaos, whether it be in the ring or no ring death matches, or you know, whenever I saw him out here in Portland uh, in a um, uh, impromptu hardcore match <laughs> that ended up being false count anywhere. So all in all, MV uh, is a prime example of how freeing pro wrestling can be, not just from an in-ring perspective, but in terms of showing personality and, and developing character and kind of coming into your own, feeling more comfortable with yourself. Um, and of course, he's he's passed that along by becoming one-third of the brainchild behind behind Uncanny Attractions, one of the more notable, uh, mostly queer uh, companies running in the New York area right now. Um, of course, they've also been infusing drag into those show into their shows with uh, the Drags and Dropkicks series. So all in all, like MV Young has been doing a lot of work both in and outside of the ring to broaden the wrestling audience, as well as explore his own creativity. And you know, we get into a lot of that this week, um, as well as just where this polycult came from. And where it might go in the future, we'll see. But before we get to that, I do have to give a quick shout out to super friends of the show, uh, Primetime Pro Wrestling, you know, Billy Dixon and Lola McGrath and Mr. Gator, all three of them. You know, they've been hard at work putting together this Butch vs. Gore show in, on March 7th over there in, uh, the, in D.C. Uh, this queer-focused show looks to blow the roof off of the place, and... From what I understand, they've already sold out front row tickets. Like it's been, the tickets have been selling like hotcakes over there. So if you like, it's it's rad to see. It's rad to see a queer focused wrestling event not being held in, during Pride Month from a company that is not LGBTQ focused sell out so many tickets this quickly for a queer focused show. It's it's just awesome to see. Um, and my congratulations to them. Yeah, like it's gonna be. It looks like it's gonna be a blast, and I just hope that they keep selling all those tickets until DC Browse sold out. Um, so a lot of kudos there, and of course, MV Young's gonna be at that show as well. <laughs> so, on that note, let's get to our conversation with MV Young. 
All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And my guest this week is someone who I have been super excited uh, to watch and even more excited to have on the show, especially with the uh, recent emergence of his uh, polycult <laughs> online. <laughs> um, please welcome to the show the American Attraction, uh, MV Young. MV, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am doing fantastic. And trust me, the thanks and pleasure is all on this end. Like, this is an exciting thing. Um, you know, bef before we get into, like, your story and, and you know, kind of your place in the, the queer wrestling scene, I, I do want to highlight that I am super bummed that I missed out on meeting you when you were in Portland a little while ago, back in December. Um, I know that, like... I just want to be up front. My partner and I both loved your match with Caden Cassidy out here for DOA. Um, I think that your crowd work in that match was some of the best crowd work I've seen at a DOA show. Um, oh, thank and, you. Yeah, and just honestly, there's just something about like your nature in the ring, this sort of like embracing the chaos of it in a way that, <laughs> that really speaks to me <laughs> in some ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, Portland was was amazing i love that show so much i've never performed in the city of portland and i've always like been well i've always like flown into portland for like prestige but like i've never like got to actually like spend time in portland so that was like really cool to actually be in the city and like be in a comedy club and then like also like like embrace like the the hipster portland crowd which is like my you know i'm i live in new york so like that's my crowd you know it's like the same thing so like it felt really good to uh be brawling in portland on the west coast instead of a new york bar for once yeah no we definitely welcomed it um i also have to commend you because every I mean, my partner and i've been to plenty of doa shows and every time we go to the comedy club there for the shows like we see that 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 supporting beam that's next to the ring mm -hmm. there. And we always wonder yeah. when someone is going to use that for a spot. Like I always yeah. like hope someone does and to actually see that get implemented for like yeah. one of the first times that was going to a DOA show that just warmed my heart. Cause it's just like, it's right there. It's perfect and right for the taking. Uh, I, I listened to your podcast where you talked about it. And I think, I don't know if it like, if I th almost feel like the crowd missed that I went into it twice. Because I got swatted on that Tope Hilo <laughs> right oh, into God. the bar. <laughs> and no, I don't think anyone noticed. I don't think like anyone noticed it because they were just like, I think they just saw the flip and they didn't think about the impact of it. Yeah. But he, swat he swatted me into the post and then picked me up and put me into the post again, which is what got the biggest reaction. So whatever works, you know, I like to use whatever. I like to be creative with it. Yeah. No, it, it was a very, it was very subtle, but like, yeah, like it, it rocked it rocked me for like I, I was just glad to see someone finally do that because it's something that i've been just holding out hope going to the <laughs> for like over a year yeah. now so yeah um but mo moving off of, of portland real quick and just like moving away from that sort of thing i'm really curious about where you um first came to wrestling like where where, where does your fandom start from uh, I would say my fan, people always ask me for this, and I feel like I, I say a different answer every time because I really don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I had this, like, viral mini-doc about me where I said Brock versus Rock, uh, which would have been second grade for me, uh, was what drawn me in originally. But I don't, 
I think that's it. Like, that's my first feud that I remember. But also, like, I wasn't really allowed to watch wrestling for a very long time, so it's blurry. I just know that I always had the action figures in the magazines, and, like, I, even when I wasn't really watching, like, WWE. But I do recall, like, around 05 or 06, so I guess, like, fifth or sixth grade, I don't know, I guess just, like, slow burning myself into being allowed to watch wrestling or my dad just stopped yelling at me for it and, like, watching – uh like the randy orton undertaker feud and then like um it became like i uh the ecw resurgence and then i looked that up and that's how i discovered like indie wrestling too and like the internet wrestling fandom which is kind of how i figured out that it was fake but still loved it nonetheless uh and like that that type of thing and then became got really into like ring of honor at the time and like the, the japanese stuff and and uh just like everything that you know i hung on to at that time um it was just really like something that like i don't recall a time in my life where i wasn't watching or at least attempting to watch watching wrestling in my conscious lifetime at least (laughs) it's it's curious to me that that you say like you weren't allowed to watch at times because i I know that um other people definitely have had that experience myself included i I wasn't allowed to watch for for a while as well Um, why why did your uh, parents kind of uh, put that barrier on you like that why why do they keep you from watching pro wrestling you know i grew up in like a very conservative household um my dad was literally like the captain of the pennsylvania state police (laughs) like very high ranking damn very high ranking (laughs) very high ranking uh like one of the highest ranked police officers in the state when he retired and uh as you can imagine um if as as someone who follows my brand uh we do not get along the best (laughs) um (laughs) for several reasons it was a very very religious household and a very you know conservative household and i am how i am and i always have been that way um not that i'm not like you know like my dad instilled a lot of like work ethic in me and things like that and you know put me into sports which has helped me with wrestling a lot obviously but as far as the world uh world view of things we could not be more opposite um and i think that rest professional wrestling might be the epitome of things that he hates in this world and i think that at that point so we're talking like 2003 2004 wrestling uh, at least WWE was still very not PG. Um, so I think that that had a big role to um, in the matter. And I think that, you know, he was trying to make me be a good Catholic boy at the time. And like, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a good look in his mind. Um, but I found my way back to it anyway. So whatever. And here I am. Now I'm a f- professional wrestler. There you go. It's a beautiful journey. <laughs> yes, it truly is. Yes. So um so you get back into it kind of around oh five, oh six. Um the Orton mm-hmm. Undertaker view kinda of pulls you back in. Um mm-hmm. where does it start to like the idea start to kind of blossom in your brain of like, oh, this is something that I want to do? Um, I remember well, I've always I guess I've always been very starry eyed because I remember that I was was playing football. And I remember thinking, I literally, I think that I I had like a blurry vision of how you become a professional wrestler. And I knew that a lot of them were like athletes. And I remember like kind of thinking in middle school that like you become a professional wrestler by being a football player. And like, so like, I like 
played football. And my idea was, I was, I remember the very original, the very like 12 year old, 13 year old idea of me was I'm going to be really good at sports and that's how I'm going to become a professional wrestler. Um, however, uh, I realized that there were schools and that's when I become, I became less interested in playing actual sports. Uh, that, that when I figured out that's not how you become a professional wrestler, I would say that, uh, I, at 12 or 13 is when I like in my mind is like where I became obsessed with the idea of me, me myself becoming a professional wrestler. Around that, the time period, like, was there any like certain figure within pro wrestling that you kind of latched onto that kind of like made you feel like this is something that you like could do per se? Like, I know you, you discovered schools and everything, but like, was there anything? Yeah. That, from what you were watching that, that kind of pulled you into that as well. I think that, so I know the first character that I latched onto at a very young age, was definitely the rock, but I remember like literally being obsessed with the old ECW at a young age and like the hardcore wrestling. And I'd say if there was someone that made me feel like I could be a wrestler, it probably would have been like, uh, like, okay. So I was like a little, I was like a little chubby boy. I remember like seeing like Tommy dreamer and thinking like, Oh yeah. Like, he's kind of chubby. Like, I could be, like, a hardcore wrestler. But then, like, uh, around 07 is, like, when, like, CM Punk came into the mix, and he was, like, more average-looking than everyone else. And I was like, oh, wait, this is cool. Uh, representation of some sort <laughs> of people that aren't. And I was like, okay. I was like, wow, this is uh, something that, like, you know, I guess you don't have to be a huge, beefy muscle head to do this. And then there was, like... Uh, I feel uh, like a Jericho documentary came out or something or something like that. And I watched the doc and I, and he said something about wrestling school, which then that's when the light bulb went off where I was like, Oh wait, you go to school for this. That's how you become a professional wrestler. <laughs> and then I remember just like crashing the internet for schools at like maybe my seventh or eighth grade year. And just like figuring out, cause I was in Pittsburgh at the time where, uh, where the schools were around me. And then, that's, so that's kind of like where I started planning. And like, I was always latched on to the, you know, the less, uh, after The Rock, I was always latched on to the less, uh, I don't want to say impressive looking talents, but the more, the more normalized looking talents. So anyone that like made me feel like I could do it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that, that's, I think that's a beautiful part of what, went down in like the mid aughts with pro wrestling like even going back to like the you know the original ecw in in the mid to late 90s or like you had guys in the ring that you know didn't blow you away with their look but blew you away with like how they were able to to work or how they were able to build their character or like inside a crowd right. you know there's so much more to, to the business than just uh body in a lot of ways yeah. and i guess i think especially today Oh, definitely today. I mean, I'd say yeah. it's more so. It's probably a more of a character-driven business today than from what I've seen than anything at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Mm. Um, I'm curious. Let's double back real quick to to this love you have with the original ECW because I mean, being in Pittsburgh, like that is a that is ripe. That is right in the area of where all. I know. All I missed it by like six down. years. But no. I know. Like yeah. I. I like I'm older than you, but I still was. Um, I wasn't really dialed into ECW when it was still running. Like like you, I came to ECW at later on, and I think yeah. there's just something interesting about that promotion that even like years after its death, like it still is able to bring new fans into it in a way. Like what 
what about it like drew you back to like watching the old tapes and old pay-per-views there? Well, going back, I mean, I guess I can circle this around a little bit to what I was telling you about, like my issues, you know, with my family or whatever. It's just like the rebelliousness of it is what really drew me to it. And now in 2020, you know, I'm in as, you know, as an openly pansexual wrestler and like, you know, as like someone who is more progressive. Now I see that there was problematic issues with ECW, but, mm-hmm. and like, obviously I'm like, ah, okay. But I also am able to see like, man, this was cool as fuck. Like this company was just saying, fuck uh, WWE, fuck WCW. And they were just, you know, doing all this crazy hardcore shit on national television at one in the morning that like no one else really had the guts to do at that time. And I feel like uh, when, whenever they like did the invasion angle with, uh, with WWE and like all those like (laughs) scummy looking dudes, we're on TV with all these jacked up uh, muscle dudes. I was like, man, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. So that's kind of like where I got like obsessed with like going on like the internet and finding the old ECW tapes was because I was like, whoa, like this was a whole thing. And, and, and like the, and like the old Paul Heyman uh, speeches where he was uh, saying, you know what, we're a b- bunch of outca- outcasts and fuck you, you're wrong. And fuck you, you're right. Rah, rah speeches and shit like that. I was like, wow. This is literally everything that I love. So uh, that was like really what lit a fire. In my, and that's why I was, you know, when I was in seventh, eighth grade, I was doing trampoline wrestling. And I was, you know, you saw me do an elbow drop uh, off the stage in Portland. I was doing that shit when I was 12 years old off my trampoline. So that was, I, I was all about it. Uh, I, and I think it's very fitting that, that you were drawn to like a company that pushed out that attitude towards everything mm-hmm. else because like i see that so much in in you like in the ring you know i see yeah. so much of that of that attitude coming out like in the ring on on your twitter like on all your promos and stuff like there's just so mm-hmm. much of the, like that rebellious nature definitely shines through yeah i mean it's definitely something that i've latched on to throughout my entire life maybe ecw is to blame for all of my attitude problems who knows I, but none, none of us. <laughs> that's all right everybody eh, attitude problem one person's attitude problem is another person's perfect complacency so wow very true yes um i am curious though like obviously like if uh wwe um at the time was something that that your uh your dad was definitely not approving of i can only imagine going back to some of those like late 90s ecw uh, pay-per-views where like definite problematic stuff like even for like oh, the yes, progressive yes, yes. people here like that is some super problematic shit but mm. um but i can only imagine the attitude that he that he had this was all like me sneaking on a computer like watching it though it wasn't like me putting it on the living room tv like wwe raw was like it oh was, no like, yeah. you know and also he was uh I got away with a lot because he was on the SWAT team, so he would randomly be leaving all the time. So whenever he had a whenever he had a call out to like uh whatever SWAT teams do, I would be watching wrestling. <laughs> um, that honestly, that opportunity that works. Yeah, <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. yeah. got to get in if you can. Exactly. No, um, <laughs> I am. I am curious. I do want to touch on this because, like you, you mentioned earlier like openly mm-hmm. pansexual um mm-hmm. and i know like on the previous uh you know podcast that, that you've done that you've talked about 
how you came out like fairly recently i want to say publicly at least like but yeah i know for a lot of people that you know coming out is not the moment that they realize that sort of um truth about themselves so i'm curious like when did you start kind of like recognizing that within yourself and did anything involving uh wrestling kind of play into that sort of self-realization in some way well i would say that wrestling uh helped me be open about it it wasn't a self-realization i mean i realized that i was attracted to people of all types i guess in a younger age um mm-hmm. uh but i uh also um you know i think i started coming out very slowly like four years ago only to like my closest friends and then like um uh like just more and then i moved to new york city where everyone's very accepting and i feel like i just built an entire circle of people who just knew that that was my sexuality like i've never had like a you know a facebook post or a tweet tweet that was like hey by the way guys uh you know i'm i'm pansexual it was always just like oh well, uh you know you met me and now you know that you know i'm you know if by either you saw me with someone else or whatever you know or i told you you know that that's my sexuality um, and then I just kind of like uh, met as far as like it incorporating into my gimmick. It's not something I ever really saw myself doing until like I realized that like uh, me being open sexually, uh, how I am in the real world, uh, and then incorporating into a gimmick made me feel more free as a performer too. Because a lot of the things that you see that I do, like I'm doing that on the fly. Like, even, like, the Kate and Cassidy match, like, that was all on the fly. So, like, whenever you're just, like, okay, so, and I did a rooftop match with Effie. We'll say that, too. Like, whenever, you know, I'm out there with Effie, like, and I can, and I know that, like, I can incorporate whatever kind of things I want. And, like, I'm opening my character for what it is. um, And, and, you know, this is what I am now. That gives me the freedom to, uh, that I didn't have before, where I feel like I was, like, maybe scared of like succeeding or I was maybe scared of like being myself but also like scared of like uh I feel like I'm like lost for words here but like just being open about my sexuality really put me in a place to where I'm just comfortable as a performer you know Mm -hmm. I mean being able to speak openly about that sort of stuff like like it's it's a huge weight lifted off of people I know at least in my own personal experience you know so like Mm -hmm. I could definitely see that just kind of taking the shackles off of like what like perceptions of stuff you might do in the ring or like different ways that characters right. might interact, you know, like I know one thing yeah. that really popped me with you in Portland going, going back to the Kate and Cassidy match again. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was a fan in the crowd that yelled something about sucking dick or something. And, uh-huh. I just remember you responding, screaming like, 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 Envy Young is not attracted, is bisexual, but he's not attracted to you, and like that, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. that just lit me up. Like it was perfect because like yeah. I, I like open bisexual, like, and that's something I never would have done before, and like I never saw. Well, here and here's why. Like I just like I really never saw it as, as necessary until I slowly started incorporating more, and then I realized how um, like represented people feel by it, and like and that and that's when I started realizing how important it is to like. Like me being open sexually, I feel like has like led to a whole, I don't want to say a whole world, but I have so many fans, I have people, fans that DM me and tell me that how uh, 
comfortable with themselves that make them feel. And that's like, I guess really like, like if anything, sometimes you feel selfish, I feel like as choosing up enter- entertainment as a career, but like, if you can have that impact on people, it makes it feel like much more important to me that people feel represented and empowered by something that I'm doing, even if it's something as stupid as kissing Effie and then kicking him in the dick right after. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, but like to me, that's fucking cool. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, I just now I got the image in my head. And it's just like not leaving yeah. me. It's too funny. It's too good. Um, yeah. So you you go to, to you go, you train and then you go to to New York. Um, mm-hmm. Are did, are you working before you go to New York, or or is it sort of like more so wherever you? No, get so actually, to? I started when I. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, you're I fine. Actually, you're good. Um, um, I actually forewent, um, uh, uh, I should say, complete college career, um, by, and I went to uh, Florida because right after my dad retired from the state police, he got a job with NASA <clears throat> oh. um, security. And Larry Zbysko and Scott Hall, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Scott Hall had a school in Florida that I went to for a year. Um, and uh, so for a year, I, I was training there. I had like 15 matches and then I moved back to Pittsburgh after a year uh, and then like on my own. And then I was kind of did the Pittsburgh scene for like two or three years, maybe nine, uh, 19 to 20. Oh, yeah, 19 to 22. And then for three years, I was in, in, uh, in New York. So that was like kind of the, the path of it. And New York was where I really started seeing like, I don't want to say success, but where I started getting noticed, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, New York is, you know, larger market, more places to work, more coverage, mm-hmm. I would say. So that that makes total sense. But I know, like, yeah. at least, like, there's one promotion in Pittsburgh that I know that you um, still tend to go back to, uh, Rise. Correct? Am I, mm-hmm. Do I have that name right? Yeah, yeah. R-Y-S-E, Rise. Yes, yep. yes. The other Rise. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, or the other Rise is the other Rise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like I'm curious. I I don't know much about the Pittsburgh scene personally. Just I haven't spent a bunch of time there. Like, what what was your experience working the the Pittsburgh scene? Well, the first time around, it was miserable. Mm. Um, and, th- and this is like kind of like me telling you where like I wasn't, in, and I don't know how much of it has to do with me embracing my sexuality, but it, to me, it feels like it was a big part of finding my gimmick, where I just didn't really have a gimmick, and I was kind of a lost. I was just a wrestler, you know, I was wrestling. If I did gimmick stuff, it might, it was, it seemed to be generic. And so that's kind of on me. I was getting, I'd say a lot of work, but I wasn't really like succeeding. I don't know how much I would have succeeded because Pittsburgh's kind of a bubble either way, but nonetheless, I wasn't really being used um, in a way that like, I don't, I don't want to say it's done in my growth, but it wasn't the best for me. Um, so like uh, the first time around it was bad. Um, just like maybe just growing pains type bad not like oh i hate all these people type bad just like Mm -hmm. really really like still green still finding who i am and then moving to new york city uh you know is where i'm talking where i'm talking about my personality both in the real world and in wrestling started coming out is where uh i really found myself and i think that's why you've seen in the last two and a half years you've seen me be much more places because uh, that's where the character development happened. 
I mean, it, it makes total sense. I mean, like, yeah. not to like, you know, I, I don't like to dunk on like, you know, Ohio Valley, Midwest areas, that sort of thing. But like, there's just something about like New York or, you know, San Francisco or different like places like that, that kind of cultivate this, this comfort in not just necessarily dealing with LGBTQ people, but also just like, just a comfort right. in like finding who you are and being able to express that in a way. So it, right. it makes it's like not, sense. It, 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 it's almost it's 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 um, to anybody in New York. It's almost nothing to tell them that I'm pansexual. I mean, like it's not. I mean, it doesn't feel like anything. I think that in the Midwest, you still get like a lot of discomfort. Like I I, I don't want to like project that because I know that there's lots of progressive people in the Midwest. But I feel like even like when I'm in Pittsburgh now, like if I'm dressed in rainbow and with my bright blonde hair, if I'm dressed in rainbow clothes with my bright blonde hair. I can see people in Pittsburgh like giving me dirty looks, you know, like, so like, and that's definitely like, also let me say that Pittsburgh is definitely doing a really great job at becoming a very progressive area. And there's lots of really rad people in Pittsburgh, but it still like has that like rust belt, eh, eh, you know, type feel to it that like makes me sort of uncomfortable about being my, uh, I'm still going to be myself, but you know, you definitely have to think twice a little bit about it out here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I, I, totally understand that you know i'm originally like from from georgia and i like, spent a lot of time in the atlanta area and like atlanta mm-hmm. is celebrated for being like this bastion of like for the gay community within the south you know it's like one of the gayest mm-hmm. cities in the country but even like you I mean you go a little bit outside of atlanta you still get some of those some of those looks you know like i both me and my and my partner have experienced that but even like even within atlanta itself like they are super friendly to like the gay and lesbian community but there's still ways to go for like the trans community or the bi community or the pan community you know like right. it's just there it all moves in steps so like like yeah i totally understand like i feeling like there's areas of, of progression there but there's still definitely ways to go oh my god yeah of course and that's and that's do people say a lot of this is interesting you're in you're in portland currently yes that's what yes you mm-hmm. yeah a lot of people say that pittsburgh is the east coast portland <clears throat> and i see that i see the i see uh i see those i can see why people say that but i think it's more so the people that surround the city that also maybe i don't know work in the city that kind of give it the bad the bad vibes that i mm-hmm. don't really like um, not to say that that isn't in new york city either because there, there of course is but it's very I feel very comfortable 95% of the time in New York being my, and also in almost any wrestling circle being myself. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the interesting point. Like the, that kind of parallels this sort of conversation we're having about, you know, municipalities is that I think pro wrestling for the, the longest time, like it's definitely been progressing in terms of representation for, for queer people and queer coded characters and everything. But it's, it's at that same step where like they've become more okay with like you know gay and lesbian uh people within within the industry but and like they're we're starting to see more you know trans wrestlers pan wrestlers like wrestlers of all the other of all the other letters starting to emerge and we're seeing at least from what i'm seeing like it's still those those communities are still like steps behind where the gay and lesbian community is just because it like there's that that progression i'd say um, that's mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting thing to look at, considering how you know all the communities kind of get lumped into one thing in terms of their descriptors oh. in a lot of ways, but yeah. there's still like different levels of acceptance for each. 
Yeah, and and you know, it's not lost on me that I'm very privileged that I am I I'm you know I'm white and I'm very I I don't I just want to say straight presenting I guess and like I don't and I feel like a lot of people haven't you know for you know a lot of people didn't know that I was queer until two years ago and they probably never would have known if I wouldn't have been comfortable with myself about coming out so I think that you know there's definitely like a, a still a side to the community that still has yet to be represented in the right way and I'm trying to do that with Uncanny. And, you know, well, and I think Effie's going to do a great job of doing that with his, uh, the big gay brunch at WrestleMania. Um, and then companies like you mentioned, RISE Rise, I think are, you know, I think that there's, I think that we have like this, I, I'd say we have like three or four years here where it's going to, you're going to see it pop up more and more. And I think that maybe in that time that we'll be on par with uh, actual, actual equal representation in the community. No, and I, I agree with you on that. Like, it's definitely getting there, and and it just takes time in some ways, and people mm-hmm. push it in the right direction. And there are so many people doing that right now. You mentioned, you know, Effie's Big Gay Brunch going down in Tampa. I know you with Uncanny Attractions. Y'all are running a show in Tampa, and I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought up Uncanny because Uncanny Attractions is one of my favorite companies going right now. I oh, have not been disappointed by any of the events that y'all have put on. I think that the marriage between drag and pro wrestling that y'all do with drags and drop kicks is outstanding. Oh God, I yes. love it so much. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that that's like my favorite. And that's that's like another thing where like I love um that's kind of something that I discovered in New York too, is like how much I love putting nightlife because in my mind professional wrestling is nightlife um i don't know if that's once again the ecw speaking to me or like what like but to me i think that ec or oh my god that professional wrestling is uh nightlife in the same way that drag is and then also i think it's like a spectacle in the same way that fashion is which is why i'm promoting a no ring fashion show like i love putting these two juxtapositions of worlds together and like seeing how everyone treats it and i feel like the drag people that come the drag fans that come to the wrestling shows uh like like the wrestling and then vice versa and i'm really curious to see how the fashion side of the world is going to accept wrestling i hope open with open arms um but it's definitely something that i really enjoy experimenting with and that's what i and and that's another reason new york city so i hold it so dear to my heart is because that's that's the place to do it (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I completely agree with you that that wrestling does have that that element of of nightlife to it, even if shows are held mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Sometimes, like it still has that element to it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's been a lot of conversation about you know like the how drag relates to wrestling. Like, is wrestling drag? That that's been going on for a while now, and then incorporating it into fashion though that's a really that was a really interesting take that I that I saw whenever you announced your uh, your no ring fashion show uh, coming up. Mm-hmm. I believe that's on February seventh, if I'm not mistaken. February sixth, the first day 6th. of New York Fashion Week. There we go, February sixth. That was close. So I'm I'm yeah. really curious. I want to I want to talk more about Uncanny, but before we get to Uncanny, um, I, I I'm very curious about how this idea for the for the no ring fashion show came about. Well, uh, so I used to be like very into modeling um, back back in the day, maybe like two or three years ago. It was something um, that I did. Um, part of the reason I went to New York was was that to pursue it. wasn't a successful model. I'll just put that out there, but I was a model. So I was always just like kind of had like 
I, I think that Uncanny is what sparked it because I was like, well, we threw this together. Let's see what we can do with um, another two opposite, or not, again, not opposite. I think they're more similar than they think, but maybe two groups of people that necessarily wouldn't be in the same building at the same time and see how that works. I, I think the biggest inspiration was uh, just like, well, me and Casanova Valentine have become very close friends. And I was just like, hey, man, like, it would be really cool if we did like a fashion show like at one of your things because he was doing you know he does the concerts he does the bands and then the then like two matches and we're still going to do that but like what if we just threw something in there to get a different demographic and a demographic that's like because you know bushwick brooklyn you know that is like a changing demographic and you're going to have a lot of fashion people in that part of brooklyn and his venue is beautiful our wicked lady like i just feel like I don't know how it's going to go, but I feel like, I feel like it's going to be a really positive thing. Like, I feel, I almost like have this like excitement about it where I feel like it's going to lead into bigger things and like, it's going to open the eyes of maybe fashion people that wouldn't give wrestling a second look uh, and turn them onto wrestling, which is really what I want to do is get new fans. That's my biggest goal out of everything that I do in all these hybrid events is to get new fans. Um, well, I mean, so I guess that's the inspiration. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a good goal to have. I mean, that's the, the really the only way you continue to grow the the business and kind of move it into new directions is to expand the audience in a way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how I, I mean, I don't like. I really, I really do not know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how they're going to respond to it. Uh, the the new eyes that is, uh, when they see me. <laughs> possibly bloodied with Casanova Valentine after a, a runway show. But I feel like, that, I feel like, you know, if maybe some people reject it, but I feel like a lot of people will like it and I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. No, there's a certain humanity to it. And I'm pretty sure like it's, it's, I think it's a safe bet that if you're involved in a, in a no ring match with Casanova Valentine, you're going to come out bloody in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to, to spoil it but yes you are correct yeah i don't know if it's much of a spoiler i mean who knows who knows I could, that's just an educated guess on my behalf <laughs> i did do a show with him in, in an art gallery in chelsea where we didn't get bloody um, oh so there's there is okay. that but uh, if i had to predict i probably will be getting bloody for this one so it's interesting that you decided to kind of marry the the no ring deathmatch scene with this fashion show. I mean, obviously the venue is great. Like Casanova is an awesome person to be working with up there with that. But you know, this I'm very curious to kind of see where this the, the culture of the no ring deathmatch is something that, especially in, in that area in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn, like that's something that I've only really seen kind of emerge over the past year or so, but I'm sure it's been going on for a while before that. What kind of, what drew you to, to that scene and, and why that scene would be the one that you wanted to marry with the, with the fashion industry for this show? Well, so that's been going on since like 2016 and Cass is kind of the one that like really brought that into like the Brooklyn like hipster scene. He started doing them in like art galleries and stuff. And like, I think they've just been getting more and more popular and more, uh, more frequent. <clears throat> but what drew me to it, the first time I ever saw it, I was actually, I had, I never even saw a video of it until I moved to Brooklyn. And he actually at one point booked, uh, Zach Saber and, uh, uh, Chuck Taylor <laughs> in a bro. In a, in a Brooklyn bar match in Greenpoint. <clears throat> and I was like, what the fuck is this? 
like this is insane but like it also it also is like the essence of everything that i love about new york which is that everyone's just weird as shit and, and we all just embrace it and like it was just like 300 people chaotic as fuck and like everyone's just like drunk and having a great time and i think that i was like i didn't even know cats at this point i was like what is this i have to do this and like that was i mean like a long time passed i'd say like at least like over a year and i didn't have any like affiliation with cats at all and i just so happened he wasn't even supposed to be on the first uncanny i was i, I originally booked jeff cannonball and he couldn't make it and i booked cats like i just emailed him and asked him and he uh he was on the first uncanny and we went out drinking and it was literally like, I mean, I post the picture all the time. It was the night that I met him and Effie and they both became like my very close friends. And uh, he, like, I don't, I, I, I think that maybe he thought that maybe I wouldn't want to do one because he didn't ask me for a while, but he would always like, I don't know, say things to me about it. And then he's like, yo, 4th of July, I really want to do you and Effie in a no ring. Like, would you be down for that? I was like, fuck yeah. And uh, that no ring uh, was my first ever this past 4th of July. But since then, I've done like seven of them and people are really branded around me, but which I'm fine with because I think it's fun. Um, what draws me to it is the the surreal amount of energy that you have around you when it's going on um, that like everyone's just so ready for it. And everyone's like, there's a lot of like curious new eyes, but everyone's into every single move. It It almost feels like the excitement of you being in a real fight but you know that the other person is trying to take care of you, which I guess is wrestling in general, but because it's in that bar room, it's different. And like, I don't know, like the adrenaline I get for those is, is, is it's on a different level. I don't know how to explain it. Like I get very excited for them and like people really treat it like a, like a special event. Like we always get like these, like, like photographers with like a lot of internet clout that like are like taking pictures really cool fucking pictures if you do one of those bar fights you have content to post for weeks after it's just really good for you uh for someone like me that's building the brand i am at least like like something to build your to uh like promote yourself with and also just like building a, a social media audience and and whatnot like it's always just it's, it's just been nothing but positive for me and just like it's just like always like the funnest times uh, it's always like the, like the funnest nights for me. Like you do that, like everyone's really stoked and then you go get drunk with everyone. Like it's just like a fun time. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm somewhat jealous that I haven't been able to experience that environment yet. Um, oh my God, you have to. I'm into yeah. it. <laughs> cool. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So that it's it's awesome just to hear, just, just hearing the excitement in your voice when discussing that. Because like, I feel like it's a, it's a, Pro wrestling as a whole, you know, there's not a, you know, the, the old adage is that there are only like seven stories to tell, and right. there's and, and there's so many things that within pro wrestling that have remained the same for a long time, even with like little deviations here and there, little changes here and there. So to find something that can completely like shake things up and insert this new like shot of adrenaline, not just for the people watching, but the people actually, you know in the ring or in the no ring in this example um yeah like, i feel like i could give you like 20 reasons why it makes me feel like that too that's the thing like, <laughs> this is like, like that's the thing and, and it's not that i don't love like i love regular professional wrestling like i just had a match this past weekend with frightmare from shikara that i'm still very high on like i'm still very excited about it it was a very traditional wrestling match i didn't do any quote unquote queer spots it was just like i just wrestled my ass off and he wrestled his ass off and it was a lot of fun but 
I also have this obsession with converting uh, uh, people that don't watch wrestling into wrestling fans. And these fucking no rings do that like so well. Like it's happened so often. Like every show I'm at, I will see my Instagram, my Twitter will blow up with people that I'm looking. I, you know, I, I look a little bit. I'm like, they're not wrestling fans. They're just Brooklyn people. And they're now MV Young fans because they went to this event. And they otherwise don't watch pro wrestling. And that's like a very powerful thing because we need to get new eyes on wrestling. I mean, we don't need to. I mean, we can stay in this bubble forever if you guys don't like money. But I like <laughs> money. <laughs> so, like, and like that, well, I, I think people are fascinated by watching this little 185-pound blonde queer boy get into bar fights. And I think it's something, something to it. And uh, I think that, I I think that there's like, the the growth for it too because i think that people i think the casuals are more into it than they are regular wrestling matches there's nothing wrong i mean i can still work my ass off in a ring i know it but i also know that these things are pulling in a fan base that otherwise we don't have and that's an important thing mm-hmm. no it definitely is and honestly like it, it makes total sense that you'd be excited by that because you've been doing the same thing with uncanny you know, I mean, right. just kind of marrying the pro wrestling scene with with the drag scene, with the queer scene, even more so. Um, right. Over the past of the past couple of years with Uncanny, where did uh, Uncanny like start from? Where did the the idea originally uh, sprout from? So uh, I was the executive producer of Uncanny Attractions' uh, personal trainer. <clears throat> oh. I, when I yeah when I lived in or when I first moved to Brooklyn. I was a personal trainer at Blink Fitness for like two and a half years. Um, and uh, so I kind of met her by complete chance. I started having, I had these private clients that were like on their way out of New York, like moving to Los Angeles. And we passed each other in the hallway and she's like, oh, what's this? What are you guys doing? Like, oh, this is Michael, my personal trainer. Next thing I know, uh, I used to box. <clears throat> so I, I, I do private boxing lessons. Um, it was, I was coaching, I was doing boxing with her on her back porch. And uh, for, I think for a long time, she thought that I was like an amateur wrestler when she, they were talking about it, um, like, like a collegiate wrestler. And then she followed me on social media and she obviously realized that that is not what I am. <laughs> and she was like fascinated by it. And she's like, I just, I feel like we need to do something with this. Like I'm a live event producer. She's like, has a very impressive career. She has producing credits for live events of like the Super Bowl. Like she's done oh, wow. Super Bowl halftime shows, Panorama, like uh, uh, Coachella, like she, that is what she does and she is very good at it. But I was also weary because I, people tell me all the time for my entire life, was like, oh, we should do a wrestling event. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you don't realize what goes into putting a wrestling event together. It's fucking stressful. But anyways, uh, time moves on. She's giving me all these ideas. Um, <clears throat> she, she's also queer. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this sounds great. And the next thing I know, I, she invites me to this in-person meeting with, at House of Yes, which is where we run our shows in Brooklyn. And I'm like, holy shit, this thing's really moving. Now, this is in June of 2018. And we ended up running until December of 2018. But nonetheless, it happened. Um, and uh, so we uh, trudged on from that show, the first show, which had people involved that will never be involved again. But nonetheless, uh, it was what it was. And then after that, that's when we got Darnell involved. I think you know Darnell, right? I'm uh, I'm familiar with Darnell. I know who Darnell is. I don't think we've had many yeah. interactions, but yeah. 
Yeah, Darnell Mitchell, that's when he became a co-producer. Well, I think he was doing social media, and then we eventually, like, put him on as, like, a producer for, like, the rest of the shows. Um, so that's kind of, like, how it happened. It was, like, complete chance. Like, if I leave my client's apartment five minutes late that day, there's no uncanny attractions. Mm. Wow. It's pretty wild. Serendipitous. <laughs> yeah, very, very wild when you think about it. I mean, like, it's really, really. And that was, our, that, that was, that was my last session with them ever. Uh, last paid session with the people that moved to LA. So literally, I moved out. If I don't leave my their apartment at the same exact moment I do, there's no uncanny attractions. Wow. Yeah. Incredibly lucky. <laughs> yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what has it been like, like running Uncanny and like kind of producing these shows at House of Yes um, over the past like, year and a half? Like what? What have you taken away from that experience, but like as a promoter, but also in terms of like being able to to highlight a, a vast array of talent? Well, for from the wrestling like from the wrestling standpoint, I'd say it's stressful in that like being with a bunch of your peers all the time that want to be on your shows is 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 stressful. Like I'm, I mean, I can't even lie about it. It's like I want to put you on my show, but it's like also like we don't have room, we don't have a budget for that. You know, like. Um, that's the most stressful thing to me. Uh, the, but like, it's still, it's still like fun once you put a show together and you're like producing the day of, and you have the butterflies and you're just excited about it. That's really, but the best thing about it to me is that I've learned how to be a live event. I can't say I have learned in the past tense. I am learning how to be a live event producer, which is how I'm producing this fashion show on my own, which is still taking years off of my life because boy, do I got to tell you putting together a fashion runway or a fashion show is stressful. Uh, but it's something that I've realized that I'm really, uh, really passionate about is putting together live events and maybe something that once I'm done getting dropped on my head for a living, I transition into because uh, uh, Lynn is knows so much about live event producing. And I just like feel like we talk on the phone forever and like I sponge in the things she's telling me. And I feel like I'm applying even because I'm producing this fashion show pretty much. Uh, well, I have a, a another producer from My Heart Media who's actually helping me, but like kind of from scratch putting this fashion show together, and I realize that I'm applying things that Lynn has taught me, and that's the most that I get out of it. Is like that, I feel like I'm building a new career skill. Mm. I mean, it's always nice to like keep adding things to your that Swiss Army knife, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, like, from everything that I've seen and a lot of the, the response that I've seen online to the events themselves, like, it's 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 done a lot to um, not just, um, like, promote and push forward like, the acceptance of, like, having a majority, like, queer, uh, the, a majority of queer performers on a show like that, but also, like, the fact that y'all have been so so adamant about pushing uh you know women and performers of wrestlers of color and you know yeah. like all these different all these different marginalized communities are like being showcased in in one nice like very very easy to digest package that i think really i mean it speaks to the the power that pro wrestling can have yeah no i think so i think so too and i think that I, and maybe this is me getting a little cocky about it, but I feel like it has maybe sent out vibes to other people that want to, like, do the same thing. Because I know, like, a lot of people, like, ask me for advice now for booking, like, uh, booking people that are otherwise marginalized. And, like, I feel like that has really um, 
been something that's like an interesting thing to me is people asking me for booking advice because mm-hmm. I'm only 25. And like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you should do this. Like, I'm, you know, like, I'm really high on Billy Dixon. Like, I think everyone should try to put Billy Dixon on their show if they can't. I think that uh, he's big as fuck and he talks shit real good. Like, and like, that's <laughs> someone who I think, I think that's someone who is, uh, uh, in my mind, is definitely like something I, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes with Uncanny because I keep putting him in these positions where I think that he's going to keep growing. Uh, like with Devin Monroe at WrestleMania weekend, uh, I am putting pressure on Billy to have a good singles match at home you know i'm i i want him to be the sleeper match i want him to be i want him to open eyes with this match same with devin too i just I, i'm very close with billy and i'm not that close with devin so that, that's why i'm speaking like this but i want billy to like you know billy's so good at talking <clears throat> and i just want to like i just want to see like how where and he's so young uh, i just want to see where he can take it and i think that that's the kind of thing where like you know, Billy's getting this high quality footage from Uncanny so he can branch out other places. And that's like a good thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Like Billy's a friend of the show and like, I couldn't agree with you even more. Like he is outstanding on the mic and can go in the ring. And I love what he's been putting together down at a uh, prime time with Lolo for this right, butcher right. Score show coming up in March. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see like that, that dynamic, like between both you and Billy and plenty of other people. And even with Effie now, like putting together the big gay brunch, like you, like some of the more, like, I guess for lack of a better term, like more prominent names within some, the, the queer wrestling community, like mm-hmm. you're starting to get put in positions where you can affect stuff backstage and where you can put together events that showcase other queer talent as well. And right. I think that like, it's, an, it's interesting to see like this, this kind of push in, in that way. Like, uh, did you ever expect to be able to have that sort of influence? I didn't. I, I think that I expected that. I, I think that, like being uh, a creative be- mind behind wrestling was something that I always saw myself doing, but I didn't expect it to happen so soon, I should say. Mm. Um, I think that, like I said, that was complete happenstance that, that uncanny happened. But I will say this, that I think that exactly what you said, like, I, I think that punk rock is fuck that we are, you know, taking control here, like saying, Hey, look, you have to pay attention to us. I think that's the important thing about it because uh, well, you know, from, for Brooklyn, <clears throat> you know, this, I'm not, I'm not going to mention any names, but let's just say we have a queer based company now that New York city can be proud of. Um, that's important. That's, that's important that it's bringing new eyes with Billy. You have uh, an area that has just been deprived of professional wrestling as a whole for 20 years. Uh, so the fact that they're booking mostly queer talent and selling out that venue, that's incredible. And then with Effie, you have that show that's going to put uh, a bunch of otherwise already like the Bullet Club typical wrestling type fans eyes on queer talent, see how fucking good we are. Um, so that's, you know, that's just three people that are, you know, we're taking control and making people look at us. And that's what's so cool about it to me is like, it's like the DIY, like, hey, like you didn't, you didn't we, we couldn't do it the traditional way. Uh, we're, we're, we're taking this. <laughs> no, I, I I love to watch it honestly, and that kind of leads into the the next step for Uncanny, the the show down in Tampa on a Mania weekend. I believe y'all are running on is that, y'all running Thursday night or or is it Friday yeah, Thursday night? night? It's Thursday night, eleven p.m. So what led into that decision? I mean, obviously uh, Mania weekend, everyone 
pretty much yeah. everyone runs a show many a weekend and wherever that's at. But what kind of led y'all to decide that Uncanny was ready for for that kind of treatment? I think that Lynn got I think Lynn felt a little competitive about it. Um mm. Uh, we did Mania last week, or uh, sorry, last year, but it was almost by default because Mania was in New York, so it just worked. Yeah. Uh, but, but this year, I think that we'd originally been approached about possibly doing the collective, and then it didn't happen. Um, uh, I think maybe because of Effie's emergence, which is totally fine because he deserves that. Um, so we just kind of like, oh, are we going to do this or not? So Lynn and I went down to Tampa in November <clears throat> and location scouted and we found this beautiful drag bar called Southern Nights. And, you know, I don't know the business side of things because I don't have any connection to that whatsoever, but whatever, they talked things out and found a deal that they wanted. And uh, it just kind of, we're like, all right, we're doing this. We found the date. I guess that the drag, the, the bar is not open on Thursdays at all. So it worked out. And then we kind of like put our own little collection together because we have prestige wrestling under us. And then uh, Casanova has a, I can't remember what he ended up calling it, but some kind of morning deathmatch show the morning of. So it's like a, it's our own little festival going on over there. But nice. so it all worked out really, really well. No, that's, that's awesome to hear. Like I saw that prestige was running Southern nights. I didn't know if that was going to be in like, kind of any connection um with uncanny but it's nice to see that you're kind of building your own little like small collective it, it's interesting to see like the dichotomy of how things are breaking down with the with the, the groupings in the tampa shows right now because obviously the collective is its own separate humongous beast of a thing that gcw is putting together over there yeah. um it's just like then, another thing where like, you don't need i don't need someone i don't need to be a part of that for something to know that i'm good and it's just like we're Put our own thing together and i guarantee you it's going to be very successful so like to me like that's cool that we are i'm not i'm not as ballsy as gcw number two i don't know if you've seen that at all there's another oh i've seen GCW. it i've yeah, seen it so. running the italian not, it's not like that. It's, there's no like fuck gcw anything about it like actually brett and lynn are actually like get along very well uh yeah. but it's just like you know like we want to do it so we're going to do it i don't blame you i mean it's it's especially if like the mission is to kind of expand the audience like that is another perfect way to get that done the more the yeah. more shows that you can showcase that sort of attitude and that and that amount of talent on like that's perfect right yeah absolutely so we're kind of winding down here a little bit but i can't let you go before we talk about uh the emergence of the polycult oh my god recently. okay Yes, I'm very curious because, like, obviously, like you, like the American attraction has been your bread and butter for for years now. Like the the yeah. attitude has definitely come out through that. But then, uh, recently, there's been a lot of of uh, talk about this this poly cult that you have put together, yeah. uh -huh. where uh -huh. basically anyone can join. So yeah. I'm curious, where did this, where did the idea kind of come from, and and what's been like, how have you been like rolling it out, and what's been your like attitude towards it going forward? <laughs> well, I think that uh, I think that so it started with a tweet, and I can't remember what the original tweet was, but it led to I know I said this, I said surprise, Uncanny Attractions has actually been my polyamorous cult this entire time, and it got like a huge, and it got like this huge reaction. And I was like, ah, yeah, you guys like that, huh? So I kept like fucking with it and 
putting it out there a little bit more, a little bit more. I do the fan fiction every now and then. I just like to throw shit at the wall and see what works. But, like, people were, like, really into this idea of me being a poly call leader. And people started calling me, like, their king and their leader. And I was like, all right, this is kind of hot. Like, I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> um, and then also, like, I have been in several polyamorous relationships in my life, so I'm not a rookie to the matter. Uh, so I was just like, man, I feel like uh, I feel like this is really catching on. I feel like this is very 2020. I feel like this is very progressive and very me, uh, very authentic, even though, well, let me say authentic in that I don't want anyone to be, like, hypnotized by me as a cult leader, but authentic in that, like, I like this idea of me being like this progressive leader of a group type thing. Like um, that's what I like about it the most. And like, I don't know, like it seems like every day I get a new person on Twitter that are several new people that are like, especially when like Dan Housen gets them on one of my videos, they're like, wait, what is this a cult? They're like, yeah, they're like, all right, I went in. And now I have like all these new people every day. It's like, Hey, we're part of the cult. We're part of the cult. And I'm like, Holy shit, this is really happening. Like people are into this idea of me being a cult leader, but like, it also like, kind of works with the american attraction like i don't know like how to explain it like it like almost wor <clears throat> works with what i was doing before just like more turned up no so, i i definitely agree with you on that <laughs> yeah so like it's like almost like i had turned myself i feel like i feel like when i started like like we talked about me coming out or being open about my sexuality i had turned myself up from like a one to like a six uh, on a scale of 10 and now I feel like I've maybe turned myself up to like a 14 out of 10 but like <laughs> it's definitely like working so I'm just gonna keep doing it and it's also like I'm like finding things that work really well like I'm putting content out every day where I'm making these rolls and people love are eating that shit up and uh I'm like wow this is so much fun and I feel like it's really showing off the charisma that I have because I get to talk on video like it's not just like oh this Sunday I'm gonna beat up this guy it's like, oh, hi, here's my face. Now you facial recogni uh, recognition. This is MB Young, uh, your leader. Uh, here's a rule <laughs> that you have to abide by. And people are like, oh, that's so good. Yeah, yes, yes, you're our leader. I'm like, okay, we're going to keep doing this every day. So, so that's where we're at with it right now. Oh, I've been, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching some of the some of the uh the vignettes that you that you filmed yeah. and put out there on twitter like it's i i just love the like, there's just something like there's a certain vanity to someone holding a halo light up to themselves <laughs> while like, doing their skin the skincare treatment and then yeah. like offering to do it for everyone else in the cult uh, it, it's like also like but it's also a way to like to show you like exactly what i'm talking about like i don't know if you saw my tweet about and which at the end of the day, I feel like this is really my gimmick is that I don't subscribe to gender norms. And yes. that's really, and that is really like, I'm very adamant that I'm a very, I'm a very capable athlete, which is traditionally masculine, but I also legitimately like do things that are perceived as feminine. I'm very into like looking good and dressing good and, and, and hygiene and all those things. And like, I actually do uh, face masks and, you know, uh, skin routines and all those things and i actually do wear glitter when i go out uh but i also feel like i thoroughly believe that i could kick a lot of people's asses and i feel like that's an important thing for people to see because uh i feel like that's a, a group of people that want to be represented or have been waiting to get represented and they are getting that representation from other people don't get me wrong but i feel like that at the end of the day is what my gimmick is more than like the 
like as the poly cult leader, quote unquote, you know, that is what I am the message that, and that I want to correlate into the real life, I think. Mm. I mean, it definitely shows through because I, I think that, you know, obviously more and more people are kind of subscribing to this idea of like, there's not one definition of masculinity. There's not one definition of right. femininity. Gender is fluid. Gender is a construct. Like so many right. of these different tenets that are showing themselves to be more and more true um, to more right. and more people in a lot of ways. And specifically regarding the polycult, I think that it is, while it is hilarious to watch, and mm-hmm. I'm, you are definitely, from what I can tell, getting a huge kick out of put, putting this stuff out every day. I think mm-hmm. it offers a, a form of representation that we haven't really seen in pro wrestling that much in terms of polyamory. Like, right. if you think about it, the only real like polyamorous angle that ever really got huge promotion was like Tommy Dreamer taking like Kimona and Beulah and just being like, I'm hardcore. Like, that's really the only yeah, time that's, that's, so, that's so straight and over masculine. Exactly. People see me taking in men and women and non binary people. Um, that's the important part about it is that like, it's like, uh, someone said if, if a man says i want to be in the poly cult yep a woman says i want to be in the poly cult yep someone that's non-binary or any any whatever gender uh that they prefer to be uh whatever their pronouns are this is who's you know you're in the cult it's not just like oh i'm tommy dreamer and i'm the man and i have two babes i'm straight as fuck <laughs> it's like that's 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 not that's not the fucking move anymore g that's the this is 2020 and like this is the fucking this is the new wave uh and i think that's what i think that's why the growth is is limitless is because that's really what the that's really is what the movement is uh in the in the real world and that's what people want to see and the fact that they haven't seen it before makes the growth potential even better Hmm. no i i couldn't agree with you more like just we'll keep on uniting polyculture otherwise we'll keep bringing everybody underneath the banner (laughs) oh yes Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, Envy, well, I appreciate you so much for, for sitting down and, and taking the time to talk to me today. Um, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and definitely throw out those details about Tampa one more time because I, I am super excited about that show. Okay, cool. So Twitter and Instagram are both at the only MV Young. Facebook is just MV Young. Uh, Uncanny Attractions is April 2nd at Southern Night, Southern Nights in tampa florida uh it's going to be at 11 o'clock p.m um i and don't and also don't forget that prestige wrestling who's a organ also in uh an organ transplant from uh the from your area is uh coming in at 5 p.m i want to say 6 p.m they'll be right before they'll be right before us they have a really good show too and then casanova valentine has uh a show at 11 a.m the same day so we have our own little collection there uh let's not call it a collection we have our own little group of talent coming in uh so i think that uh if you want something different uh southern nights on april 2nd will be a good place to be rad well thank you again mb thank you thank you so much for having me it was a really fun conversation You know, while it's a shame that MV and I didn't really get a chance to to meet while he was in Portland, uh, I think this this talk, this this chat, just made up for it in droves. Like it was, I mean, it was a blast to have on the show. You know, I'm sure I could have talked to him for hours uh, beyond that, but 
Uh, clearly, he has a lot on his plate, though. Um, and, of course, you can check out all of his rad goings-on. Um, you know, he has his uh, his fashion show, the uh, MV Young's New York Fashion Week No Ring Deathmatch Extravaganza. That is on February 6th in Brooklyn, New York. And, of course, Uncanny Attractions brings the Drags and Dropkick series to WrestleMania weekend down in Tampa on Thursday, April 2nd at Southern Nights, uh, as you heard MV call it himself, a pretty rad drag bar down in Tampa. Um, and, of course, you can follow get all that information um, uh, for Uncanny Attractions at uncanny underscore attract on Twitter. And you can follow MV Young, of course, uh, at the only MV Young on Twitter and Instagram, so you can keep up to date on everything going on with MV there. Um, my thanks once again to to MV Young for coming on the show. I don't know if this means that myself or and or my partner are in the polycult now, but. Eh. Maybe. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's going to do it for this week's edition of LGBT in the Ring. Um, but, of course, like every other week, we can't get out of here until we say some very special thank yous to people that help make this show happen. Most notably, Daniel Quasar, the designer of the Progress Pride flag that we use in our logo. The Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And, of course... You have to shout out Sarah in the Safe Word for our show's theme, Formula 666. That is off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSWBand, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And... Of course, if you're into video games, you can definitely check out the Mr. Video Games Super Show that I co-host every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific with a couple of awesome Twitch streamers over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment um, if you have the hankering for some video game news as well. All that being said, I must bid you adieu. Um, so we will do that here, and we'll be back next Thursday with yet another awesome guest Another awesome conversation. But until next Thursday, y'all stay messy. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the